Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose. So what have you got for us this week? Well, we're going to start with a non-gadget story, but it's such fun. I thought I'd give it to you anyway. <laughs> okay. Where does the where does bus number six 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 go? Oh, I read this story, so I can't really answer it. It goes to hell. Yes. Hell yes. being a town on the Polish Baltic coast, and um, and it was started uh, back in two thousand and six as a bit of a joke. But then mm. lots of tourists have come to take the number six 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 to hell. <laughs> hell. But local Christian groups have objected, so they're changing it to 669. Clearly not many of them are shopkeepers, who presumably no. have been benefiting massively. Well, yes. exactly, yes. However, as you say, possibly not um, a gadget or a gizmo, so um, let's well, move no, let's, on to something that is. Let's move on. Let's move on. Aristotle, well-known Greek philosopher, probably the best-known of all Greek philosophers. He yes, trying to, re- trying to remember the philosopher's song from Monty Python now and what they said about Aristotle. I can't remember. Something it was about a bucket for the bottle. Yes, yes. that's right. Yes. But when he wasn't drinking, he was he was thinking hard about all kinds of things. I doubt if he ever thought about how difficult it would be to fly chips in space. I don't imagine he did. I don't imagine he did. Well, that is the mission of Aristotle University in Thessaloniki. Mm. who have teamed up with the European Space Agency to work out exactly how can you fly chips in space? Because let's face it, these astronauts are getting rather bored with their freeze-dried food. Yes. I wouldn't really uh, want spatters of hot oil flying around. You wouldn't, would you? No. Well, the the problem is that I think you ever watched chips frying. I mean, people don't tend to fry chips anymore. They tend to oven cook them. But when you fry chips, bubbles form around the chips. And then mm. the bubbles rise to the surface. Well, the reason they rise to the surface is, of course, because of gravity. But in zero gravity, the bubbles don't rise to the surface. They just form around the chips, producing a, a protective layer that insulates the potatoes so it can't actually cook. Mm. So what they're doing is they're experimenting with a fryer that spins like a carousel. And they have a high-speed camera that checks the size and the escape velocity of the bubbles. <laughs> right. And they've tested it uh, in a jet that flies in parabolic arcs. so that Yes, the vomit can... comet. The vomit That's comet. Right. So yes. this simulates zero gravity. But as you say, the last thing you want is boiling oil flying around your spacecraft. Well, no doubt McDonald's at this moment are trying to come to some deal with the International Space Station to provide chips. But as you say, nobody really fries chips in a way. Our mums did oh, when yeah. we were very young and very dangerous. Yes. Kept reusing the stuff, I remember. I mean, it got used again and again and again yes. in the chip chip pan. But as nobody does fry chips now, except in proper uh, establishments providing these yes. things, why do you think they're even bothering? I have no idea. Okay. Anyway, but that's what they're doing. So right. who knows? But it could be good news for astronauts. It could be completely disastrous news for <laughs> astronauts. We will find out. Let us move on to a bit of tech, mm. gaming. Now you don't. You're not a, not a big gamer, I imagine. No. no. Maybe the odd uh, Tetris on your phone, something like that. But for people who are serious gamers, they like wide monitors, and in mm. fact. They like ultra-wide monitors. And introducing the Samsung ultra-wide gaming monitor, Odyssey OLED G9, which mm. has a 32 to 9 ratio. So the standard wide screens are 16 to 9, so it's double the width. This thing is about the size and shape of an ironing board. But are it the games that wide? Um, don't the games well, have to be developed 
So they've got a wide angle of view or not? Well, curiously, no, because games are engineered to cope with whatever size and shape screen you're playing them on. Because, of course, you know, some some screens are sort of four to three aspect ratio. Some are 16 to nine. Some are 14 to nine. You can't really tell. So they do engineer them to play wide. And, of course, for some time, serious gamers have had two or even three screens angled so that they get the, the all-around view. So if someone's creeping up on them from the side, they can see them, and they can therefore beat their, their high scores. This is not only uh, an ironing board, but it's shaped like a warped ironing board, so it bends, it curves around you. Mm. Now, the curious thing is, it also has a smart TV built into it, although you wonder what it would be like watching TV on something the shape of an ironing board. Do you remember when... Uh, widescreen TVs first appeared. Mm-hmm. And when most of the content was still old content shot in 4 by 3 resolution, oh, yes. you had the option of either having black bars at the side or cropping in, in which case the top of people's heads were always cropped off. Oh, oh yes, my ex always used to insist on watching widescreen even when things weren't widescreen, so people just were very fat. Yes. Oh, horrible. they can be very fat or they can be cropped. Yes. So if you're going to watch TV on this, either people are going to be astonishingly fat or you're just going to see a bunch of midriffs. I suppose if that's if that's your bag, then maybe that'll be the thing to do. Anyway, it's made by Samsung, and you can pre-order it now for a mere $2,200. It's about £1,740 if you really want to get one, but I don't suppose you do really want to get one. Well, I don't, but that doesn't necessarily mean nobody else will. Anyway, let's have one of these. <laughs> And having had, let's move on. Let us move on. Well, let's stay with screens. Uh, People who want to take screens to the beach with them, or when they go camping or wherever. And you can lug along all kinds of bits of kit. But Mm. there's quite a clever new thing from LG. It's it's called the LG Standby Me Go. It's rather curious because it's Standby, S-T-A-N-B-Y, then a capital M-E. And I don't know why it isn't stand by me, because clearly that's that's what it should be. So I went to the LG website. Now, this thing is only available in Korea, so the website is only available in Korean. And the title on the page has LG and Go. And indeed, no, they're just LG and Go in um, traditional you know, English Roman mm, uh, yes. script. But the stand by me was in Korean. So I thought, I wonder what that means. So I copied and pasted it into Google Translate, and mm-hmm. this is what it said. Stand by me. Oh, well, that's useful. It is. So it's stand by me, which translates, apparently, in Korean, into stand by me. Right. I'd probably like to know that. Anyway, so what it is, it's a suitcase, and the suitcase opens up to reveal a 27-inch monitor that comes out of it on this rather smart support arm kind of pedestal, so you can tilt it to any angle you like. It's got a three-hour battery with built-in Wi-Fi and, indeed, Bluetooth. And so you can lug it to the beach, 12.7 kilograms. Because really what you want pounds. when you go to the beach is to find the person next to you has got some television blaring out all the time. Well, it is pretty wide, isn't it? 
12.7 kilograms, but yes, pretty heavy, rather. Uh, and you don't want someone. Well, no, I so, suppose so you, you don't want to... a particularly big person who's well built on the beach next to you blaring no. out their TV. <laughs> no, indeed. Anyway, it's only available in Korea at the moment. £700 they want for it, or the equivalent in, equivalent in Korean, I don't know what they use, Korean money. Let's go, let's just go for the generic, shall we? The one? I can't remember. No, I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway, so there we go. So if you want your party on the beach, then you could take a stand-by-me go along and you can have your little TV. Uh, that little that's rather, TV. rather depressing. Really depressing. Hmm. Yes. Well, suppose having a party on the beach isn't good enough for you and you want to have your party in the sky. Ooh, the Korean currency is the one. I was right. It's the one. Oh, yes. Thank you. As in, if you have 100 of them, then you've got a wonton. Yeah, I have. Whoa, whoa. Really? Yes. So if you want your party to be more exotic, how about having a party in the sky? There's a hotel group in Dubai, where else, who have bought an Airbus and they have fitted it with a dance floor, a king-size bed and a shower. So I don't know how many of your friends are you going to try and fit in either the mm. king-size bed or the shower after they got all hot and sweaty dancing. Mm. But you can rent it from uh, $13,000 an hour. Which is actually quite a lot, I think. While it's flying. Party. While it's flying. Wow. Yes. Up to 16 people. Uh, a noted footballer, they're not telling us which one, recently hired it to fly from Dubai to Madrid. And one lucky customer hired it for a two-week island-helping tour of the Caribbean. They didn't say who the customer was, but when they were quizzed about, isn't it, rather expensive they say well it's for customers who want to enjoy the money while they're still alive <laughs> which is a rather <laughs> right. sad way of that's, putting it yeah. really. well that's a very good slogan enjoy but it if while you're still alive island having tour so you know you, you you've got your bed you've got your shower you can live on the plane and you can invite up to 15 of your friends to come and dance on your dance floor with you well if it's mostly footballers well they want to fly it a mile high the entire time i would imagine they probably would but just exactly. as well there's a shower just as well indeed what next well paul mccartney has turned to ai not to rejuvenate his image which Mm. i suppose i think he's got enough plastic surgery and hair dye doing that already but uh he has tracked down uh an old song that john lennon recorded a demo of back in 1978 and he recorded it on uh on a cassette player in his noisy flat Mm-hmm. And he sent it to Paul, and Paul said, oh, "Okay, we can make a song out of it." And uh, George Harrison said, "No, it's a rubbish song. Let's not do it." But now that George Harrison is no longer with us, mm-hmm. Paul McCartney has turned to a chap called Emile de la Rey. and Emile de la Rey is a dialogue editor, and he worked with Peter Jackson on the documentary "Get Back." I don't know if you ever saw it. It was a documentary about the Beatles, yes, and it was I heard of it. But... It's very good. Made up of lots of sort of home movie style stuff. But of course, you couldn't hear their their voices very well because it was recorded not for broadcast, but just on whatever technology they had at the time. Mm -hmm. And what Emile de la Rey did was he devised a technique for separating the voices from the background. So he's now applying that to the John Lennon demo. And so now Paul McCartney, possibly with Ringo, I don't know, certainly not with George Harrison, will go ahead and fill in the rest. So they've got a chorus, hasn't got much of a verse yet, but I imagine Paul will 
come up with the odd verse, oh. and there will be the last ever Beatles song to be released. Mm-hmm. As a On word. the other hand, if George Harrison said it was no good, I'm with George. I mean, he was a big George Formby fan, so he clearly knew his stuff musically. Oh, well, I won't debate that point with you. But <laughs> I love I love the fact, just that. as you started with something that wasn't very gadgety, I love the fact that he was once, Bob Dylan came round to his place for lunch, and he sat him in front of not one, but two George Formby films. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall? Was Bob Dylan <laughs> thinking, what on earth is going on here? What on earth is anyway, going on? time for us to take a brief break. Back soon. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. And we are indeed back. So, more gadgets and gizmos from Steve Catherine and myself. Smart lampposts. Now, they're oh, already goodness, smart no. lampposts. Are they? Yes. Well, they're smart lampposts in the sense that they're not that smart. They just have the uh, electric vehicle charging oh, yes, ports yes. in them. Well, there's a new initiative from our government. Insert adjective <laughs> of your choice before government. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, who have put together a one and a half million pound fine uh, to build in not just EV charging, but public Wi-Fi hotspots in lampposts. It sounds a bit bizarre. People hanging well, around lampposts? Well, presumably, you'd have to go terribly close. I mean, some places do have public Wi-Fi in the streets, do. don't they, already? Yeah. I don't know where the transmitters are. Seems yeah. odd, but not the worst idea yeah. they've had. So if, if George Formby were alive today and happened to have a Wi-Fi enabled ukulele, then he could stand beneath his favourite lamppost and, uh, and and live stream it. I don't imagine for one and a half million pounds you get very many smart lampposts. No, well, that's the point. So there are going to be And you just have to trials. hope that the electric gubbins aren't too low to the ground, otherwise the nearest dog's going to electrocute himself. I imagine they've thought of that. Oh, really? Maybe they haven't. Oh, well. well maybe not. <laughs> anyway, local councils, up to six of them, can yes. bid to host this trial and i mean who knows something may come of it but frankly i don't think it's needed wi-fi and lampposts but then you know i said who needs a phone a camera in a phone look how wrong i was mm. did you say that i did yes, yes wasn't that well, ridiculous well, well, well. oh well we can't so get talking right. of uh, smart lampposts and powering things mm. geothermal power Mm-hmm. There is an unlimited, well, virtually unlimited supply of hot stuff down there mm. under the Earth's crust. Yes. But getting it out is really difficult because you need very, 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 very long drill bits. Yes. Note the, uh, yes. the, the number of varies I use. Yes. There. Drilling, okay. drilling to hell. You need drilling to hell. You could take the bus. You need the bus 666. Yes. <laughs> and the trouble is when the drill bits wear out, you then got to take them out, which is not as simple, apparently, as changing a drill bit in your regular electric drill, because these things are very, very, very long, and they have to pull them all out. It takes a long time to do and then get Mm. them back in again. Well, a Slovakian company called GA Drilling have developed not one, but two pieces of rather clever technology. One is called the anchor bit, which is two sleeves that go behind the drill. And the purpose of the sleeves is to stop the drill bit wobbling about, mm. which it would otherwise do. And the, the the one at the bottom pushes out lugs from inside the collar that lock into the, the, the rock that it's drilling into. And then the top one slides down to meet it. And then that one locks in place. And then the drill carries on drilling. And when it's drilled a bit more, the bottom one releases its lugs, slides down, and then locks in place. 
and then the bottom one does the same. So that the drill bit is always supported, no matter what depth it goes to. And the second bit of technology is, it's not that new, but it was very good to go with this one. It's a plasma bit, which is a rotating electric arced torch. Mm. And the good thing about this torch, this, this, this drill bit, is they reckon you should never need to replace it. And Ooh. so they can just carry on drilling. And if they go down to a depth of 10 kilometers, then the magma down there is at 350 degrees centigrade. So once they drill down, plenty of hot stuff that you can then pipe up to the surface or just pump water down through mm. it. And, and you can create geothermal energy for nothing after you've, after you've mm. drilled your hole. Should the Australians be worried that they're going to have drill bits popping up all over the place then? Uh, I, they haven't yet made them quite that long. Oh, right. Okay. I'm sure they're working on it. Okay. Well, uh, let's move on. And while we do, let's have one of these. So from geothermal power to solar power, we talked just a couple of weeks ago about how JAXA, which is the Japan equivalent of NASA, have worked out a, a way to beam electricity from solar panels in space. Mm. Well, now uh, Grant Shapps, our apparently energy security secretary, I didn't know that he had that was among his, his other jobs and indeed other names, but he has working out a plan to beam solar energy to the UK. And he reckons that a quarter of our energy needs could be supplied in this way. Unlike well, in his, theory, uh, all of our energy needs could be supplied in this way. I mean, it's theory, just a number plucked theory, out of it yeah, is a number plucked out of well, the air. Literally, literally, yes. Fortunately, it is not the uh, his former cabinet colleague Chris Grayling, who you remember <laughs> signed a contract with a ferry company that didn't have any ferries. Mm. So instead, Grant Shapps is going to uh, Cambridge University, the University of London, and EDF, who between them should mm. have enough brains to work out how to do this. So yeah, they're going to put him in a balloon with a big mirror and get him to sort of go very high and then just point it down. That is work well. That would not work well. I think they want to make the electricity up there and then send the electricity down rather than oh, scorching right. hot solar rays beaming down from a, a mirror in the hands of a current, <laughs> uh, insert adjective here, government minister. Yes, yes. Okay, let's move on. Well, while we're up in space, and since we are up in space, Nord Latcher, NASA is spending $985 million, which is nearly a billion dollars. You can get a lot of smart lampposts for that. You certainly can. And they have got a mission to Psyche. Now, I must admit, uh, other than the Greek goddess, I had not heard of Psyche, but Psyche turns out to be an asteroid an asteroid in the asteroid belt between Mars yeah. and Jupiter. Oddly enough, I feel I have heard of it. Now I'm wondering why. But well, we perhaps it's just got one of those memorable on names. It's a memorable name. I, I, I do get some of my knowledge from other sources than just this show. No, I don't believe it. But anyway, forget it again. Or at least forget well, where you true. got it from. Yeah, that's true. So the thing about this asteroid is it's made largely of nickel and iron. Hmm. And... So they reckon that the asteroid is worth $10 quadrillion, which is roughly 90 times the entire world economy. 
So they're spending under a billion dollars to go up there and see if it really is made of nickel and iron. And if it is, then they're going to try mining it. But how on earth they're going to get it back? The they've cost been watching too of many getting... science fiction programs, haven't they? Well, well they're going to bring the whole thing back. Iron back from. Well, they could bring that whole thing back easier than bringing it in stages. Well, they'd probably destroy the world, then the economy would. They would. Align completely. They yes. would probably destroy the world, but yes. it, it is absolutely bizarre. But you know, someone is convinced them to spend nearly a billion dollars on this, so they must think there's something in it. But asteroid mining, it, it you know, it it sounds kind of okay on paper until you think, well, hang on a minute, delivery costs. This is yeah, this is the problem. All these people being brought up on all these sci-fi programs and films, um, they just think it's going to be as easy as that. I mean, crazy. they do. However. Given that I once thought the iPad was a terrible idea and you thought putting a, a camera on a phone was ludicrous, who are yeah. we to sell them they're wrong? They are NASA are after we? all. They are NASA after all. They know how to waste money, don't they? <laughs> they no, no. do. Spend money on perfectly valid scientific experimentation. Yes. Well, well, apparently apparently we've got, we can thank them for the non-stick frying ban, so, so I'm told. Well, so we're told, but um, obviously sure astronauts <laughs> couldn't use these frying pans to fry chips. But maybe oh, they can. Oh, very now. good way of turning back to that. Very clever. Thank you. Thank like you. you. Callback. Callback. We call it in the business. <laughs> oh, do we? Okay, we do. So back to back to Earth, and apparently a third of all the food that is generated is wasted through the fact that it spoils before we get the chance to eat it. A third. So they say. Yes. Seems like an awful lot, doesn't it? Seems a bit unlikely. That probably includes unsold food in supermarkets that's passed its its mm. munch by date. Maybe though most Not supermarkets now seem to be getting rid of those things. Which uh, I know does tend to go. Hmm. I mean, anyway, our parents so... used to say, you know, as long you know, take the top off, smell it. Smell if it. it's got if it's got mold on, just scrape it off, and it'll be fine. Exactly. Exactly. Well, my uh, suggestion is to give it to a piece of it to the cat. And if the cat will eat it, then then I'll eat it. Right. Having said that, I won't eat most things that my cat will eat. <laughs> but then, yes. you know, my cat does lick its own bottom, so I don't really know what its sense of taste can be like. Yes. Anyway, Koch University in Turkey have mm -hmm. been studying this. And the thing about meat and fish is they produce biogenic, biogenic amines, which are toxic when they go off. And mm -hmm. so they've developed little sensors that can stick go you know, inside the food packet that can tell your phone when it's off. And the clever Ooh. thing is that they tell it via NFC, near field communication, and they also power themselves by NEC. So when you bring your phone close to it, it draws a tiny bit of power out of your phone, which allows it to, to operate itself. And then it'll tell your phone if the food you're about to eat is off or not, or if it's going off, so you need to eat it quickly. Isn't that clever? Well, it seems incredibly clever. Is it actually um, economically feasible? They say yes. They say there'd be things to be very cheap to produce. Because you don't want to you know, pay a lot more for food just in order to find out whether it's edible or not. Well, if we're wasting a third of the food that is produced, mm. then maybe maybe that's not a bad idea. Add an extra 10p on the, on the cost mm. of, a, of a pack of frozen chicken. You never know. I guess. Well, OK, Steve. Well, thank you very much indeed. I'm actually ending... Got a reasonably optimistic. No, I don't think we've had. I don't think we've actually seen the destruction of mankind this week, which makes a change. Well, unless of course, the... unless of course, the asteroid comes back, the hurtling <laughs> back to Earth, <laughs> and they're all rubbing their hands, saying, "Oh, it's worth ten quadrillion dollars." 
Um, but only until it hits. Okay, exactly. that's it, though, for this edition of Gadget Demo from Steve Kaplan and me, Simon Rose. We will be back with even more at the same time next week. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose.